Good morning, everybody. Well, it's good to see you all here. And uh, it's kind of nice because here we are. We're just about to Christmas and we get to praise God and sing these songs for the um, glory of a son who was right here for us to have everlasting life with him. Um, 
I know we all got the connection cards and we know what we got to do with them. And so let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Your Father, thank You, Lord, so much for Your Son who You gave up as a gift for us. And Father, we ask that You be with us as we go throughout this service, Father, and singing praises and worship and listen to the teaching we have. Put it to our hearts, Father, as a, a gift to You from us, Father, for just a minimal gift of the life that Your Son gave for us. Lord, we ask that You watch over us and bless us, Father. Be with the ones that aren't able to be here with us and be with the ones that are traveling during the holiday season. Watch over them and keep them safe in their travels, Father. Thank You, Lord, for this avenue we have to worship You and to sing praises to You. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is
shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Angels, we have heard of thy sweetly singing o'er the place, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous praise. Oh, oh, oh. 
To 
It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Well, the girl this next Sunday is going to pause for a little while and remember the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And John wants you to turn on my microphone. How's that? Oh, better? Okay. Well, when, uh, when Jesus was born, from the songs we've been singing and from what we know in the scriptures, he was welcomed by all but the uh, leaders of the Jewish nation and Herod. He was a uh, threat to Herod and he was a threat to his own people. When he, was, when he was a child, when he was a babe, people came to see him, the shepherds in the field, and the wise men came from the east, came to worship him and see him. But then right away he was uh, taken, by the time he was at least two years old, he was spirited away to Egypt in order to preserve his life because there were people looking for him to do him harm. That was because he was a threat to his own people. He was a danger in their minds. And as... Uh, as he grew older, we, we hear nothing about him except when he was 12 years old, he went up to the city of Jerusalem and, and sat with the rulers, uh, the teachers in Israel, and talked about the law with them. This is found in the book of Luke in chapter 2. 
And then in addition to that, we, we know nothing else about him until he appears for the first time at the baptism of John. He was baptized by John. And John introduced him as the Son of God. Now as he moved through society for three and a half years, he began to bring troubles to the nation. Now, what I want to say is this, that uh, today in our society, Jesus is very welcome as a babe, as an infant. But as a man, older, and as the Christ, the Son of God, and the one with all authority, He's not nearly as welcome. Not hardly. The world does not accept Jesus as the Christ, and the world, is, as a matter of fact, is a, either has an antipathy toward Him or has hostility toward Him. And His name is used as a curse word generally. But when Jesus appeared to His people, He appeared to a people who were governed by the law of Moses. And because they were governed by that law, they became a nation identified by that law, as we've discussed in the last couple of years, a couple of weeks, I should say. So that when, when Jesus began to challenge that law, when He began to appear to be one who was going to change that law, people began, became very nervous. When He was taken before His accusers, after three and a half years of being in the public eye, they accused Him of wanting to tear down their Capitol building. Just like if somebody came along today and decided they were going to tear down the White House, we'd be excited about it. Well, they were excited about it. And they accused Him of blasphemy because He was speaking against God and the law. And they actually, Jesus was now a man. He wasn't a baby. He was a man, 33 years old. They actually put Him to death because of that. And the Bible tells us that when He went to death, went to the cross and died for that, that that ended that nation's law. Now the text we read this morning, Romans 3, 27-31, talks about the fact that we're not justified by the law. Now he's, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments as the basis for that law. And when the writer in the book of Romans starts talking about the Ten Commandments, the law, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, we're not under that any longer. Now that brings up the concept of being lawless. If you're not under that law, what law are you under? Law is a, is a vital part of our society. As a matter of fact, without law, we're not a society. We're not regulated. We're not protected. We're not defined as a nation without a law. Laws define societies, codes, constitutions, regulations, define societies, governments govern society by law. And without law, we are what we would term lawless, which means we have no boundaries. We have no borders. We have no inhibitions. We have no restrictions. We can do just what we please. Just anything we want to do. Now that's when the Jews, the nation of Israel, when they heard 
that the preachers of the gospel were preaching that the law was no longer applicable, you know what they were thinking? This is a lawless society. They call that antinomianism. Antinomianism. Nomos is law. Anti means against. So they accuse the Christians of being against the law. Being lawless. Now, we, we have some indication of what our country would be like without a law. We do. Without anything governing us. Now, laws govern people in toto, that is, in a nation in toto, like our Constitution governs the whole nation. But sometimes there are laws that just govern a village, just a small community, just a little town, just a, just a hamlet, because people have come to the conclusion that they need a code of regulation to make sure that they treat each other well, that they don't abuse one another, that they keep within certain boundaries, and that they are protected from any outside forces that would endanger their person or their property. That's what laws are for. You know, and we're in the midst of this business today of trying to figure out whether or not we ought to obey laws or not. We live in a democracy, not, not in a monarchy, but we live in a democracy. A monarchy simply says, here's what you're going to do, and you have no choice. A democracy says we've made the choices, we've made the laws ourselves, and now we're bound to keep them among ourselves. And there are folks saying, well, maybe well, I don't want to keep that law, and so we have, we have problems coming up that, are, that would eventually lead to anarchy and to chaos. Now, we, uh, we can get some idea of chaos and anarchy and rebellion and antinomianism, when we look at some, some of the ways that we treat our children. Now you may not, may not be aware of this, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, that the, the Amish people seem to be a very law-abiding society, don't they? Well-regulated. They, they, uh, they maintain themselves, they maintain order in their own communities. They actually feel like they're not subject to the laws of the Constitution and so forth. They are, of course when they live in this country, but they, they regulate themselves. But whenever their children reach age 16, they go on what is called a, a rumspringer. Rumspringer. That means they turn them loose and say, nothing regulates you anymore. Do what you want to. 16 years old. Guess what they do? They hit the bars. They start drinking. They, uh, they, they start partying. They start turning loose. They start kicking over the traces. They start doing anything that their parents told them not to do. Now they start doing it. Some of them come back. Some of them don't. But it, be, it, it becomes a chaotic environment wherever they are. And they, they get together in groups. So they, they go wild. Not restricted. You say, well, that's terrible. Well, then... Take a look at spring break down in Miami Beach. We turn our kids loose on spring break, at least a lot of parents do, and a lot of individuals do, and turn them loose on communities like Miami Beach, and they go wild. Thousands of arrests, damage to property, damage to persons. There's just mayhem going on. 
Because there is, as far as they're concerned, there are no restrictions, no laws. We can do what we want to do. Well, of course, we know that there have been places like this too in this country when, when this country was being developed and, and we were moving from the East Coast to the West Coast that there were lawless communities, which simply meant that people were not protected by law. They were not governed by law. They did what they felt they should do or could do or what they were big enough to get away with and they were following Darwin's law of the jungle. The uh, survival of the fittest. It goes the, goes the one who has the most strength. Well, this was what the nation of Israel had to be thinking when they began to hear these statements by the preachers of the gospel that you're not under the law anymore. The law of Moses does not apply to you anymore. You're not restricted. You're not constrained. You're not restrained by the law. So what do you do? Well, you go wild, obviously. You just kick over the traces. You do anything you want to. If you want, if you want to uh, murder your neighbor, you murder your neighbor. If you want to steal, you steal. If you want to cheat, you cheat. There's no repercussions. Now, law tells us, and we know we're regulated by law, and I, was try, I tried to get some information on this, but I can't get it. You might be able to get it. I don't know how big the law profession is in this country. I know how much money they generate. I know that they generate something over $80 billion a year. But when we talk about the law profession, they had laws, lawyers during the time of Jesus too. Shakespeare said we ought to drown them all, every lawyer. <laughs> but the, the point is, the law profession involves people that litigate against one another. There are four different types of law that, that are applied generally. Civil law and criminal law and religious law and community law. Anyway, there's four different types of law. But the, law, but the lawyers usually involve themselves in litigation among people. People sue each other because they feel like they have rights. And we do have rights. And we have rights under a law, the Constitution, right? So we say, well, you can't do this because you would be breaking the law. Okay, breaking law. So we, we recognize that we live under a law. These people lived under a law. And when we talk about the law of Moses, we're talking about the law that God gave this people to keep them together, make them a society, and help them behave. Really. Help them behave right toward God and right toward one another. So what happens when that law is shoved aside? Well, if you're an immature kid, you'll just run out and do whatever you want to do. But if you're an adult, what do you do? As an adult, what do you do? Here's, here's, here's some of the things that, that must have been a shock to the system of these folks when they heard the preachers preaching this. They were preaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's going to instruct you in what you need to do. But you don't have to follow the law anymore. No law. Now this text says there is a law. This text says the law of Moses was abrogated but the law of faith came in. The law of faith. Now, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, and this has to be a, a shocking statement to people who are under the law of Moses. Like somebody coming along telling you today, you don't have to 
obey the laws of the United States of America. You don't have to be governed by them. You can just go wild, do anything you want to. You can destroy your neighbor's property. You can, you can steal what you want. You can lie all you want. You can cheat all you want. You can be just as lascivious as you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. That's what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting of ordinances, that's the Ten Commandments. Bang! Against the cross. Nailed it to the cross. It's gone. That had to shock people. Take our Constitution. Nail it somewhere and say it's all over. Now what? Now what? Well, that's what they're thinking. Now what? Galatians 2.19 says, Paul said, I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. So in getting out from the law, underneath the law, you come alive to God. Galatians 2.21, Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, it's a little longer reading. It says, For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you kept the law, you're cursed. Now that doesn't seem right, does it? But that's what the text says. As it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you start out trying to keep the law, if you don't do them all, you're guilty of them all. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It was called the law of sin and death. But that no man is justified by the law in sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. When Martin Luther King, you may not, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, I don't know why I added King. Martin Luther, he tacked his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany as an opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. And that started the Protestant Reformation. And that was in the 16th century, 1500s. Now at that time, there were those who rose up and said, hey, we're under no law anymore. And they called that the antinomianism, because there were some saying at that time that we're under the law of faith and not the law of Moses, not the law, the Ten Commandment law. And so it was really an upsetting time for people because they called that antinomianism. That's what the Christians were called. Antinomians. That's what we are. We are against the law, but we are in fact for the law. What they couldn't figure out was, and what they still, people still can't figure out is, how can you get out from under the Ten Commandments and still be under the law of faith? How can you do that? That's the, that's the issue. And so he says, But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident that just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, Curses everyone that hangs on a tree. Now Jesus hung on a tree for us all. So that's where we go, to the cross. As the gospel unfolded, as it unfolded, 
the Jews began to hear this and say, why well, he's destroying not only our law, he's destroying us as a people. And so they, they were in, a, in an uproar over this. When Stephen was, was one of the first preachers of the gospel that was martyred, as a matter of fact, he was the first one killed for the preaching of the gospel after the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, chapter 6 and chapter 7, he gives a long history of the children of Israel and what they did. But first of all, they brought him up before council because he was teaching against the law and this place. He was teaching that they were no longer under the law. You mean I, I don't have to not steal anymore? I can steal? I can cheat? I can slander? No. That's not what he's saying. But he was saying the law is no longer your guide. That's not it. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Well, that means that that people who were under the law were no longer living under the sword of Damocles that hung over their head, that threatened, threatened their lives and threatened them with death. Well, the vision of a society that is free from restraints and constraints of law makes, makes us wonder. We have visions of chaos. We have the idea that people will just run amok in the streets and do whatever they want to. They'll burn down businesses. They'll, they'll pillage someone's home, private home. They'll disrupt society. They'll do things that they shouldn't do. If you don't have a law restraining you, what restrains you? What keeps you from being mean to your neighbor? What stops you? Romans 6 at verse 11, Paul said, Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. When we say we're not constrained by the law of Moses, does that mean we can just run, run out and do what we want to do? What shall we say then, he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's a new life. It's different. I'm going to tell you, my friends, if you're a believer, you keep the law, not because the law tells you to keep it. You keep the law because you're walking by faith. Now that's different. I'm going to show you it's different. It's extremely different. When you say, well, I'm not going to cheat my neighbor because I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to break the law, that won't be why you don't cheat your neighbor anymore. That won't be the reason. There'll be another reason. He says, If we've been planted together in the likeness of death, we shall also be in the likeness of resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Even though we're not under the law, and the law is saying, if you break the law, you're going to get in trouble. He says, No, we're walking in a new life. We have a new life that we're, we're following. We're following a life of faith. Not a life of fear of the law. The born again believer comes into a new life. And it is the one way, it's a life of faith, the law of faith. It is one way that you keep a law when there is no law. How does that sound? 
You keep the law where there is no law. Now, that means that you do good because it is good to do good. You're not doing good because you'll get in trouble if you do bad. You're doing good because it is the right thing to do. It is a good thing to do. There are many concepts in society that's like this. Now, this isn't, this isn't unique in its concept. I mentioned last week, if you were here, wish you'd been here. Hope you're here next week. <laughs> anyway, what I told you last week was that we, we live kind of in the, in the newness of life. We live sort of under a, a code of uh, honor system. You don't have someone on top of you governing you all the time and saying, do this, don't do that, do this, no, no, don't do, do you, do this. We live sort of like in an honor system under Jesus Christ. We're on our own. We're on our own. On our own honor, with our own code of honor, but it's not ours. It's His. It's His code of honor. There are many concepts like this. Let me, let me describe them to you that depend upon the character of the person to do the good without being controlled. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't work overall in this country. If we were to say it's not wrong anymore, it's not against the law anymore to, to break into your, into your neighbor's home, the neighbor's house would be broken down all over the country, wouldn't they? Without law, there'd be chaos in this country. That's for, that's for sure. But what about the believer? What about the kingdom? What about you? Do you not break into your neighbor's home because the law tells you not to? Is that why? Are you afraid to get in trouble with the law if you, if you stole something out of your neighbor's garage? Is that why you don't do it? Well, we have some illustrations like this, don't we? Sometimes you go into a parking garage and it's a, it's a, you have to pay a parking fee. But what do they do? They put it on an honor system. It costs this much per hour, and so this is what they want you to deposit in a little box there. I think they quit that because people have been tearing those little boxes off the walls and stealing them. Oh, that's not much of an honor system for thieves, is it? The thief doesn't have an honor system. Honor among thieves? You say, oh no, they won't steal from each other. That's a, that's a ruse. That's, that's a myth. Thieves steal from everybody. But that, the honor system was, if you park your car and you're going to be gone a couple of hours, you put in the amount of money that they say you should owe. That's, that's the honor system. That's a code of conduct that says, I'm a decent person, I'm honest, I'm honorable, I will do that. Sometimes we, uh, we run across venues of entertainment. If you go to this movie or go to this, this uh, production, they don't, they don't charge you a ticket, but they expect, ask you to, to pay so much to get in, but they don't have a ticket taker there. You just give them the money. Sometimes people just go in anyway, don't, don't, they're not honorable. But that's the honor system. Sometimes there's a snack bar. It's called an honor system. You take a piece of candy, and they, you know how much it costs. You, you pay for the candy. That's the honor system. There, there's some colleges. Well, I, I could also mention vaccinations as an honor system, or the mask today could be an honor system, because we're trying to protect other people, trying to protect people from harm. 
And uh, of course, that's the big issue right now is can the government tell us to wear a mask or can the government require that we be vaccinated? That's, people are arguing that in a matter of law. The Christian shouldn't enter into that kind of argument. Christians should look at it and say, is this for the best of my neighbor, myself? That's what we should be looking at. Not whether or not the government has the right or doesn't have the right to make us do certain things. Okay. Now, there are some universities that have had a long history of the honor system, which means that they, they don't monitor people, their students, taking tests. Can you imagine? Don't have someone sitting in there with all the answers on their cuff or underneath their cuff. They just let them take the test because they're on their honor system. Texas A&M does that. University of Texas A&M. The Virginia Military Academy does that. Caltech in California does that. These are just some illustrations of it. Washington Lee University in Virginia does that. That's one of the oldest, the third oldest university in the state in the, in the country. What they say is that we believe our students have integrity, that they have they have honor. They will not lie. They will not cheat. They will not steal. And they, they've continued that honor system over the years. And sometimes it's a code. And sometimes they, they have that code that is uh, enforced by the fellow students. But be that as it may, what they're depending on is the character of the individual student in their university. Does that student have character? Does he, does he have good character? Now the believer the believer in Christ, is released from the rigid set of restrictive laws into a realm of faith. So we're told from the text we read to start with that the, the law has been nailed to the cross. The old law has been done away with, the Ten Commandments. And now we're released. But we now live under a law of faith. We're not lawless. We have a law of faith. That means in some way that I have to be regulated, that I am regulated, self-regulated, honor system, something. I wrestle with this, don't you? Doesn't this kind of bother you? How, how does this work? If, I, if, if, I'm not, if I'm not restricted so that if I do something wrong, I've broken a law, if I'm not restricted, how am, am I restricted? Well, I'm going to read something in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 through 25. It says, There's the law then against the promises of God. God forbid. There'd not been, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scriptures concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which would afterwards be revealed. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ that we might be justified by faith. There, there's our code of law, the law of faith. After faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. Because we're in a totally different environment. We're in the environment of faith, not of law. We are obeying truth. We're obeying gospel truth. But why? Why? Because it's the law? No. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all thing, old things are passed away, all things are become new. 
Everything has become new. You're not under that same rigid system anymore. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that is the gospel, is, revealed from, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith unto faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's the system we walk by. Do we need a lawyer to tell us what that faith is? Do we need someone constantly trying to find a loophole for us so that we don't have to do certain things that the New Testament requires? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because you're afraid you're going to break a law that God said be here on Sunday morning or else? No, I know you're not. You're here because... You walk under the system of faith. Faith brought you here. Your faith. And the law that you found written in the gospel of Christ. The believer is now finding following another impulse. Now here's where we're going to get down to the heart of this thing. The believer follows another distinct impulse. Not the world. The world doesn't do this. But the believer does this. And the impulse you follow to keep a law of faith is called love. That's it. Simple, huh? Well, you'd think it'd be simple. Jesus was talking to his to his uh, his men, twelve apostles, and one of them, by the name of Judas, not Iscariot, but the other Judas, asked the Lord when he when the Lord said, "I'm going to be with you always," and Judas said, "How can?" He knew things were going to change. Judas knew that. Something's going to change. And it did change. Jesus died on the cross. But Judas said, how can you be with us and not with the world? How can that be? That was the question he asked. How will you manifest to us, yourself to us, not to the world? John chapter 14, 22 through 24, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, Whoa, wait a minute, here it comes. If a man love me, he will keep my commandments, my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Here's the way it works, if you love me. He that loves me not, keeps not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Jesus didn't say, well, I'll be with you if you keep the law. He said, if you keep my commandments because you love me. The Old Testament was based on this principle, basically the Old Testament law, but they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. They, they stopped their ears, they closed their eyes, they shut off their mind, they wouldn't understand, they didn't want to understand, but that was what the Old Testament law was based on, love. Now, here's a fellow, a lawyer. He came to Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I get the good things of eternal life? Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read the law? Law of Moses. He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That man got it. He figured it out. 
And Jesus said unto him, You answered right. This do, and you shall live. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 and 9 puts it this way. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Simple, huh? If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. He said, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal. You know what the law is doing? It's protecting the neighbor. That's what it's doing. Protect your neighbor. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't abuse your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie to your neighbor. That's what he's saying. Do not bear false witness. Don't covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the law of faith. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14 says, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 says, Be ye followers of God as dear children. Walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Then he, then he has an explanation of what does this mean. How do I keep the law of faith? Well, mainly the first thing I do is I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? I confess His name. I repent of my sins. I'm baptized into Him. And now I follow Him. I'm saying, Lord, Your way is best. I don't care what others say. Your way is best. I will follow You. I will do what You want me to do. I will do your will. I will, I will follow you wherever you take me. So now let's get the practical application of it. In, on down in Ephesians chapter 5, he, he, uh, he gives us that explanation. He says, If you be led of the Spirit, this is in Galatians, I'm sorry, not Ephesians. Galatians 5.18 If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, let the Spirit lead you. Then he said, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, reveling, such like of the which I tell you, as I told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you do those things, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to be in the kingdom. You're not going to be under the reign of Jesus Christ. He's not going to lead you in these paths. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If you live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. Now let's go back. Why do I pay my income taxes? If I'm on an honor system, why do I pay my income taxes? Is it because if I don't, I'll be breaking the law? As a Christian, you pay your income taxes because you love the country you live in. It's just that simple. That's why you do it. Why am I faithful to my spouse? 
Because if I'm unfaithful, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to, I'm going to suffer the repercussions of God. Or because I don't want to hurt my spouse. I love them. See the difference? Do you see the difference yes. in that? Why do I not lie to my parents? Because I'm afraid if I get caught, I'll pay the penalty. Or because I don't want to hurt them. You see the difference? Love is the difference. There's a difference. There's a different law, isn't it? Why do I not steal? Why do I not damage my neighbor's property? Why do I not hate my neighbor and try to do things that are malicious to them? Because it's against the law? If you're still in that situation, you're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong pew. This pew should be occupied by people who believe in Jesus Christ. Who have given their lives to a law of faith rather than a law of sin and death. Rather than saying, I, I, I'm afraid if I, if I commit witchcraft, I'm going to break the law. No. If you commit witchcraft, you're going to hurt your God. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to disrespect Him. Why, why should I not get mad and get angry and tear things up? Because the law says you'll have to pay for it. You'll go to, in front of a court and the court will send you to jail for it. Why don't I murder? Because the law tells me don't murder? Well, that's, that's how the world looks at it, isn't it? The world says, I, I don't murder because if I murder, I'm going to go to jail. You know, there's, there's, there's nobody in jail today that is not sorry that they're there. Not that they committed the crime, but that they got caught when they committed the crime. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do I not get drunk? Why don't I get drunk? Because I get drunk and I drive a car and I run into somebody, I might be up for manslaughter or DUI or whatever it may be, breaking the law. No, you don't get drunk because you love your neighbor, because you love your God, because you love your family. You don't do those things. You just, you just don't do that. That's what he says here. Envies, murders, reveling. Why don't I go out and just party it up? Kick over all the traces. Destroy personal public property. Why don't I do that? Why don't I get with the crowd and do things like that? Because it's against the law. Well, certainly it is. I don't do it because I love my neighbor. I love my family. I love my friends. Because I love my God. We are not without law, my brother and sister in Christ. We're not without law. We walk by law of faith. And faith, the law of faith tells us to follow Jesus, be like Him, love Him, and avoid the world. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Walk by love. Love one another. That's what the Apostle John did. His dying dies. The Apostle John was so concerned about that, he wrote an entire book, five chapters. 1 John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And it was all chock full of this idea. We've got to love one another. We have to love one another. That means we have to act on each other's behalf. Because I love you, I want to do things that are good for you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to harm you. I want to make sure that everything is okay with you. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's stand and sing that song of invitation to close the service. O oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shining apart through shadows dim, giving a light for those who long have gone, have gone, and guiding the wise men on their way unto the place where Jesus lay. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Beautiful, beautiful star, star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory, glory dawn. Oh, give us thy light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Oh, beautiful star, the hope of light, guiding the pilgrim through the night, over the mountain till the break of dawn. Star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Beautiful, beautiful star, star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory, glory dawn. Oh, give us thy light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Oh, beautiful star, the hope of rest for the redeemed, the good, the blessed. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Beautiful, beautiful star, star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory, glory dawn. Oh, give us a light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on. Beautiful, beautiful star, star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory, glory dawn. Oh, give us thy light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on, shine on.
Thank you, Bill. Just made it so clear to me, as always. Uh, uh, we have some guests this morning, so if they're not familiar with uh, the cups, are you familiar with... Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure because uh, we've used them long enough where it's just natural, uh, but uh, some people that aren't, uh, they are a little difficult to get started. Uh, uh, um, so uh, I know how that is. You know, uh, we're going through some difficult times. There's a lot going on in this world now. Uh, things things have been different for the last several years. And that kind of throws us out of our normal routines. We're, but if we look back in the Bible, there were lots of difficult times that people went through. And they struggled. But God was always there for them. He always had somebody that he had to bring them back to him. And that's what Bill was talking about today. Jesus came for, to bring us back to God. And uh, he was really the the giver of everything. So, uh, when he started out uh, in the synagogue, he quoted, read the scroll from Isaiah, and it said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that was that was good news, wonderful news, because here was a people that was oppressed by the by the Romans and by their own leaders. They were required to follow strict laws, stricter than anything that was good for them. And those that made the laws didn't even keep them themselves. But Jesus came and said he was here to take care of that. So that's why, later on in that same chapter of Isaiah, I'm able to read that and apply it to me. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. That's what Jesus did for us. He is the one that gave us salvation and righteousness. And we're here this morning to remember him as he commanded us to do. Not a command as a law, but a command of love. And, and that is 
We need to love Jesus to be able to partake of this communion in a manner worthy of him. That's how we need to live our lives. So shall we give thanks for the bread that represents the body that hung on the cross? Father, we are so thankful that you loved us so much, that you showed us what love really was, is, and will always be. Father, we thank you that you have have given us a Savior who we can love and share that love with others. We thank you for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Shall we give thanks for the cup? Father, we know the only way to righteousness for us was by a sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice for all was Jesus Christ. To shed his blood was such a terrible thing to have to do and for him to do it for us. But Father, we are so thankful that you did because you showed us enough love that gives us the hope that we need to show the love to you and to Jesus and to those around us. We thank you for this cup that reminds us of his blood. In his name we pray. Amen. We'll have a closing prayer and and, uh, then a song to dismiss us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to to come together to, to share in the love with each other. The love that you've given us. The love that you show us and continue to show us. Father, we ask you to watch over those that couldn't be with us this morning for health reasons or other reasons. But, Father, we know that this is a place we come for comfort, for sustenance, and for the opportunity to show the love to others that you have given to us. Father, Just watch over us and guide us as we leave here and help us to be a light that shines with the love from our hearts that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.